Okay. All right. Welcome back to our podcast, and we are on our fourth one today, fourth or fifth, actually, I believe, Rob. We have done really well this summer. I have summer. lost track. It's been just <laughs> such a pleasure. It's going by so quickly. That was good, Rob. So, um, good news is we have, have some listeners already, and we haven't even officially put it out there yet. So Awesome. But today, uh, we are going to change, shift gears just a little bit here, and um, I've invited my friend Reed Bervict to um, come on to this podcast today, and before I, Reed, say hello before I introduce you. Hello. Hey. How's it going? Good. So, Reed, I know Reed Bervick uh, primarily because I know his parents fairly well. In fact, um, his mom, Michelle, was one of my uh, key mentors when I was in high school, and she and I would go back and forth uh, talking a lot about the faith. And so she was a very pivotal person in bringing me to faith in Christ. Wow. So the fact that 20, all these years later. <laughs> and she had a son since then. And, <laughs> and you should tell people, oh, three. Yeah. And you should tell uh, the audience where Reed is at so right So Reed right now is in Denver, Colorado. Littleton, Denver? Is yeah, there? Littleton. Yeah. And he's currently a graduate student at Denver Seminary getting a, a degree. Um, I think he said counseling. Mental health counseling. Mm. And he also coaches on the side, and he did his undergraduate at CSU. And Reed is someone who I would say is a thoughtful millennial. Mm. Wow. That's the first <laughs> time I've heard somebody put a good adjective in front of millennial. So that's, that's nice to hear. Well, welcome. So, Reed, Rob and I have, as I shared with you earlier, we've been having some pretty in-depth conversations about faith and culture, why faith matters. We've talked a lot about the crisis we see uh, in the younger generation in wanting to have faith, turning away from the faith, uh, maybe having some barriers when they come into the church. And I just thought it would be so great if we could ask you some questions about your faith journey. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so, um, so I guess I'd I'd really like to hear uh, about you know what was it like for you as a young person growing up in what I would call a, a pretty evangelical Christian home. Am I right? Am I using the right terminology? Yeah, no, definitely, definitely conservative evangelical. I mean, growing up in it, it was just normal, right? I went to church. I call myself a womb church baby because I was going to church before I was even born while I was in the womb. So, I mean, I did I did everything that normal, whatever that means, Christian families do. Go to church, go to youth group on Wednesdays, and I didn't really think anything of it. It's just kind of what we did. Um, and so there, they, they didn't seem to be anything too off about it. Um, yeah, so it was just growing up, it was just pretty normal, honestly. Okay. And maybe we should have Reed tell us a little bit about himself biographically. So how old are you? Yeah, so I'm 25. Okay. Okay, so you are definitely what we call a millennial, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. I'm, I'm in that. I'm in that. Okay, so during those early years, would you say that, you know, what you were taught about Christianity, about Jesus, that you, you know, what what were your beliefs then? What did you— Yeah, well, so— we, 
I mean, I, I guess with my own journey, I was grow, growing up in the church and went to like a summer camp where they talked about Jesus loving you, even though you sin. And I was like, I could get on board with that. But I think at that time, I was really afraid of hell because that was something that was talked about. I didn't grow up in a fire and brimstone church by any means, but even just like hearing about hell once sounded terrible. So I think initially I was like, yeah, Jesus, save me from the fiery pit of destruction. Hooray. But it was really when I went into college that I started to kind of get serious with my faith, I guess. At the time, I was really amazed that this deity would love me even when I couldn't love myself. Mm -hmm. And I saw the bad things that I did. And I saw, man... I don't even like me, but then this God says he'll forgive me for those things. That sounds pretty compelling. And so, I mean, what I believed, it was it was just really standard evangelicalism. It was the Trinity. Um, it was justification. It was Christ on the cross for everyone's sins. Um, it was God is the only God alone, and Jesus is the only way to God. Um, it was very much kind of in line with traditional Christian teachings. Okay. And so would you say that um, would you say that you still believe all of those things like today as a 25 no. year old? No, no, you don't. OK, so can we unpack that for a little bit, Reed? Yeah. So I think for me, it, it all kind of came to a head probably two and a half years ago at this point. I was just out, kind of leaving um, the campus ministry that I was working for and kind of in this in-between stage of my life. What do I want to do with my career? Where do I want to go? Where do I want to live? Um, and so I was in this transition phase and uh, a really close friend of mine left his faith and that kind of shook me. And it made me wrestle with doubts. I had just I'd realized at the time that I, I had buried. Um, and so I really started to look at, okay, is the Bible inerrant? Is it true? Can I trust it? Is God real? Does Jesus, is Jesus really who he said he was? What does this all look like? And so over the last two years, it's been this process of, of doubts and anxieties and fears and, and of kind of an exodus from the church. I don't really go to church currently. Okay. And so what I believe now, I mean, honestly, it changes on the day. It changes okay. day by day. And sometimes I think, most of the time, I think God as a deity exists. Um, and so far as what that looks like, it could change day to day. Okay. So, but you told me, you just said earlier that you did go to church up until two and a half years ago. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so what, what was your experience as a young adult in the church? Um, honestly, not great. I think it was tough because, I mean, us as... I mean, the stereotype of millennials is that we move around so much, and I think that is probably true. And so it, it was tough for me to kind of get into the church. I really, at the time, craved mentorship from older men, and I wanted to be discipled. And it just felt like I was the only one trying to get that. And these older guys had their families, and they had their lives, and so that wasn't really an interest. And so... Um, do you think people um, reached out or made no, took an initiative? No, did you, and did really. you reach out? Did you take an initiative? Reed? Yeah, I did. I did take an okay. initiative. I wasn't perfect okay. at it by any means, but sure. But if, you, if I know was, you, and I know a, that you anything you I have that to do in you to get involved in a church. It was because of me. 
It was because of you. So you yeah. felt sort of like you had to put forth a lot of effort into this. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Okay, Breed, I got a question Rob's, for you. Rob's yeah. Um, thank you, by the way, for being on the podcast. So um, the question I have is, who is the smartest person you know? Um, the smart, just like holistic intelligence. Yeah, who's the person that you go, this is the smartest person in my life? Uh, probably, probably my friend, my friend Trevor. How old is he? He is my age. Okay. And who is the wisest person that you know? That's a great question. Um, I want to say me, but no, I don't think that that's the answer you're looking for. And it well, we don't want arrogant. the answers we're looking um, for. Yeah. No, we're not. We're not looking for an answer. That's a good question. Other I don't know. I honestly honest have to answer. think about that. I mean, my fr okay. my friend Trevor's really wise. I'd have to consider that more. Okay. What do you? What makes him wise? I just think that he looks at life in a really holistic way. And I think, oh, tell me about it. I think that. Well, I think that there's a lot of people who. Um, look at everything in a binary sense. Like things are black and white. Things are. Um, this or that, red or blue, whatever you want to look at it. And I think wisdom is being able to look at things from more of a spectrum approach and in a more nuanced way. Um, and also taking into account what is this person actually looking for and what do they need right now? Because I think a lot of people when they're asked questions like to answer because it feels good to answer a question. But I think wisdom is what is this person seeking right now? And how can I help them get there? And so in my friends and, and people I see who are really wise, they do that. Okay. So, okay. So that's interesting to me that you just said that that's what you see as wise. What are they seeking right now? So what is your friend Trevor seeking? Um, Trev is seeking the betterment of people. Okay. All right. And, and does that align with what you are seeking? Yeah. I mean, I think to an extent that is kind of the point in a lot of ways. I mean, you look at Christianity and you look at this idea of Shalom and this idea of Jesus coming to bring in human flourishing. Um, I think kind of at a base level, that philosophical strand is, um, weaved into a lot of different beliefs. And I think that's a kind of a consistently see, we, we see across the board. So do you think that just it's interesting to me how you answered Rob's question that you thought probably the smartest person or the wisest person was your own peer. Um, do you think that maybe really ultimately you want your peers to mentor you? Um, I, you know, I used to be in this space where I really, really thought that I needed this older person to show me the ropes and show me things. And I think there's something to be said there with with experience and with um like if if i'm gonna get married one day i want to go talk to people who have been married and who are doing it really well and who are healthy i'm gonna go seek out those people and so on average probably more people who have been married longer will know more but i also think that we look to age before we look to health sometimes so just because somebody is married or or christian or in business or whatever for such a long time doesn't mean they're doing it in a good or healthy way. So for me, if it's a 60 year old, a 90 year old, a 20 year old, I don't really care. Can I learn from them? 
that's kind of more the question that I want to ask. So um, I guess a, a follow-up question to that is how do you know what you're learning is true or not? Where What is the sort of litmus test for you? Because you kind of alluded to, um, you know, age doesn't matter, background doesn't necessarily matter. So how do you decipher wisdom? I mean, that's a great question. I think that's one of the big questions. What's absolute truth, right? And so how do we know? And I don't know if we can know 100%. I think that there's a lot of mystery in the world that um, is a really beautiful thing in a way. I think there are things that are true. Sure, like I shouldn't murder anybody. And then you might ask, well, why is that true? And I can answer right now. It's like, well, that's harmful. And so I don't 100% know. I think that's part of my journey right now is how do I know what is true? Sometimes mm -hmm. people say things that just make sense. Um, okay, so what was the... Okay, that go I ahead. just track Sorry. with, so... So let's go back to your church experience for a minute because um, it sounds like there's these big uh, sort of meta issues that you're, you're now kind of uh, working through, let's right. say, as you go through life. Um, so take us back to church. Um, did anybody ever talk about this stuff? No, nah, I mean, sometimes. Like give an example so, of, of sometimes when they did. I mean, you hear people talking about, I mean, some really big topics, right, that I am thinking through topics such as faith in politics, um, homosexuality, um, doubt and faith and science. And so just off the top of my head, just, those are some things I'm interested in. They were talked about sometimes, but not really as often as I think they needed to be discussed. So, so go back if you can, and maybe you, you, you'll just say, I can't do it. Um, go back to the biggest imprint that you have from your church experience where they talked about one of these meaningful questions that you're grappling with now. Can you think of one? Um, not really. I think most of, them, most of the things that come to mind are negative. Okay, well, let's hear it. Anymore, What's, so. What was the first thing? What's the first thing that came to your mind? I had a conversation with a pastor um, while I was working for a campus ministry. And it was just a one-on-one -on -one in his office because I emailed him and just wanted to talk. And I asked him about women's roles in ministry and about should, or I'm like, because I grew up kind of in a, kind of was probably a soft complementarian family where women were still able to lead, but not really be pastors or whatever. And so I was really questioning that. I'm like, why not? Why can't they be pastors? Why can't they preach on a Sunday? So I went and saw the pastor and asked him about it. And the answer that he gave me was, well, no, they can't because of God's design. Here's a verse and here's an article. Are we done? Type of vibe. And so it was, it didn't really leave me with a good taste in my mouth. So if you would describe the taste though for us. Oh, it was, it was, it was just zero openness zero desire to wrestle with me and to ask questions with me and to come alongside mm, with me. It was just good. like, they were already made up their mind and they were certain about it. So like, why am I not certain about it too? It was just arrogant, honestly. So did you, would you describe your pastor as smart or wise? 
Um, he's a smart dude for sure. I don't know if he showed me wisdom in that moment. Hmm. Okay, thank you. No, I appreciate you being so honest, Reed, because it's those moments that that like are seared into your memory and into your heart that you're never going to forget, right? Right. right. So I I love that example. So like, give me an idea. Give us an idea of maybe how that could have gone better. Um. <laughs> well, I think if anybody comes to me and I already have a formulated opinion on something, I, I want to also be able to have my opinions but hold them open to the possibility of being wrong, which doesn't mean I don't believe in what I think. It just means that I'm open and not holding it so tightly. So if I were to go up to him and be like, hey, I'm struggling with these things, and he would have responded, okay, hey, that's super fair. I can see how that's a tough thing. Well, let's talk about it. What are your thoughts? Where are you coming from? What do you think? Okay, that's excellent. I think that's a good word for a lot of us right now. Oh, yeah, now. absolutely. That's excellent. But what, you're, but what you're actually leading me to one of the questions that I wanted you to talk with us about. So now that you've, you know, these last two and a half years, this has been your journey, um, you're, you're not part of like an organized church i suspect you have christian friends right yeah, yeah. okay uh are, how do they encourage you in your faith reed um currently or as i was walking away from the church well let's start, let's start with currently and then go um, back so currently i mean most of my good friends are like i'm really open about where i'm at with my friends and i'm also a good friend to them or i try to be and so they know that I mean well. They know that I'm trying my best. They know that I'm not just running. And I'm, well, maybe some of them think that. But so we have really good conversations. A lot of them are just respecting me right now. And sometimes we'll ask a question like, hey, how's stuff going with that? Where are you at? Um, some of them are more pointed, like, what do you think about Jesus? Some of them don't really ask unless I bring it up out of respect, which I think is super fair. Um, but they can't ask. It's not offensive to me. So, I mean, right now it's mostly pretty good. So are these friends, are they people who you would say are kind of leading a traditional life yeah. where they like go to church, mm -hmm. they're in Bible yeah. studies, they pray together. Okay. So interesting. So where, for someone like you then, what I want to ask because of the, of the decision that you've made to not be involved in an organized church, which is, you know, there's, this is obviously your journey, right? Where do you turn when you are uncertain about like what you believe? Where do you go now? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, I just really think a lot. And okay, I think that for such a long time, I was stuck in this place where I had to be certain about everything. And if I wasn't, mm. then I was wrong or I was missing something. And so I think a lot of people in the church I call it the crime of certainty. Everybody's holding so tightly to their beliefs that it almost becomes idolatry to where I'm right about this and that makes us feel really, really good. So currently, I'm in a space where I'm totally comfortable with the unknown and not being certain about things. Um, it's scary sometimes and it causes me anxiety sometimes, but it allows me space to process through that question the questions that I have. So I think to answer your question, I go inward, not to find the answers within myself, but to ask the questions externally 
to see, all right, well, is it going to be God? Is it going to be friends? Is it, what's it going to be? So I'm still kind of wrestling. Okay. That's really that. good. So, but if, as you're wrestling through, would it give you, what it, would it, give your anxiety relief if there were a few things that you could be certain about oh sure i mean don't get me wrong if i could know everything i would do it in a heartbeat like i would 100 <laughs> percent. but then you wouldn't need think, faith I reed i don't think we're off i don't think we're offered that necessarily uh-huh. yeah well we also should i, don't think, I, oh, I personally ahead. don't think that faith and certitude are the same yeah so so we should uh, unpack a little bit about certainty because certainty is a relative notion in the sense that there's certainty in the mathematical sense. There are only a very few things that are certain in our world. However, when somebody says certain, what, they, what they're really saying is that I feel confident in something. I have enough reasons to believe something rather than to not believe it. But uh, you know, to kind of Reed's point, that has become uh, a new term or a new definition of certainty has emerged within the church over the last probably 100 years of the notion of certainty being this proposition is demonstrably 100% objective. And that is not true, to your point, Pam, is that there's a faith component to it, but that doesn't mean that you can't believe something without certainty because that's how we operate in the world so sure. you know i think that's a really important point that that reed's bringing up is that we've got to get we've got to look really hard at the language that we use because i think our language is even confusing hmm. Hmm. yeah I, th- I think it's our language and our reaction when people challenge us on our beliefs right yeah. so if if i have a, a belief in whatever it is, and someone says, no, I don't think that's true. If we get, have this posture of defensiveness and of attacking back out of it, maybe we're just clinging to certainty more than we're clinging to whatever we believe in. Yeah. If, yes, I, have and- a whole, if I have a held belief and somebody attacks me and I'm like, hey, let me hear you out. I, this doesn't mean I'm going to change what I believe is true, but let me hear you out. It's just mm-hmm. like a posture thing. Well, that's, and of course, we, Rob and I would agree with that and what we've talked about in, over the last few times because we do think that there's what's missing perhaps in a church setting is that sense of deep listening um, to each other. But think about, so let me ask you, let me, I want to take this down another road for just a minute here, Reed. Yeah. Um, uh, if I were to ask you the question, where are you in God's I know that sounds kind of like something you would hear when you were a child, but I actually don't mean it that way. I, <laughs> no, I yeah. really mean that as a as a thriving young adult who's in graduate school, who wants to do well in the world. I know you want to do good. I know you want to be, you're an influencer. Uh, where do you see yourself in God's story? Yeah, I guess, I don't know if I can, not out of desire, but just out of where I am. I don't know if I can put it in the framework of where I'm in God's story, I guess, Right now, whether for right or wrong, I'm trying to figure out where God fits in my story, which might come across as arrogant, but I'm still trying to figure out who God is. Um, You know, I've thought about this. Sometimes I really think that it's like God is my estranged father that I like have a loose relationship with, but don't really want to talk to um, for different amounts of woundings and pains I've been through over the years. Um... So yeah, I guess then 
estranged and I'm trying to figure it out all at once. So I don't really know 100% where I sit in God's story. Well, hmm. that's really honest. And I would go as far as saying that that's your authentic answer. I mean, that really is, you're not, you're not trying to say something to put a spin on things. I don't think you're trying to spin an image, right? I mean, yeah, this is where you are. I don't have time. I did that for so long and it didn't get me anywhere. So I'm just going to try to be me. But can I, can I offer, uh, and I want to kind of be the devil's advocate with you for a minute. Is sure. that okay? Yeah, of course. Well, so if, if you ask the question, who is God in my story, okay, is, would you say that maybe that's putting him in a different category than the creator of the universe? Like, is he um, just like another that's person? A I think it could be me doing that. I think it could also very well be me protecting myself. Okay, what are you protecting still, yourself from? I still have things I have to work through. I have still things things I have to process. And if I come to a conclusion that God is real, like not for sure, for sure, but like that's my belief system, then I'm going to have to deal with, well, then why wasn't he here when I felt so much pain in this way? And so that's what I mean by self-protection. If I'm framing it as... God's in my story, then potentially I don't have to deal with the pain yet because I know I have to eventually. But I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So, so Rita, a question to kind of follow up on that. Um, you're you're sort of uh, giving us the picture of your uh, belief. You're, you're trying to figure out your belief system. But as you do that, of course, there's a belief system that's helping you to figure out that belief system. How would you describe the belief system that is mitigating between these different options you're considering. What is the undergirding belief system? How would you describe that to somebody? Um, wow, that's the conception. Um, how would I describe the framework and belief system that is me processing what I believe? I don't know. That's a really tough that's a really meta question. I I think that people are deserving of value. Um, I believe that just from what I see and what my experience has been. Um, I believe that if there is such a thing as perfection, we should strive to bring things back to that, even if it's impossible. And I don't know exactly why I think that those things are true. Possibly it could be still some some carryover from how I was raised um, and how I grew up. Some of it's from what I read. So I haven't really put a pen to paper in regards to the undergirding belief system, but there's just like a couple principles that I think just kind of based on what I see and kind of listening to the different people. Hmm. Okay, thank you. That's a That's a thoughtful answer. So you you did um, slightly mention some of the kind of church woundedness or that there was woundedness even. Right. You even brought up with God in you. Um, and I, I heard someone say recently that uh, uh, it's not just cognitive therapy that can heal a heart because it takes emotion to heal emotion. Mm-hmm. So was it an emotional wound or yeah, was it a... very. Okay. Okay. So can... 
rather than you know i don't want you to like feel like you have to go back and tell us everything that happened or something but but what do you sort of envision as a as a path toward healing in that that's a great question i don't know fully the answer um i think i'm gonna have to sit with it Mm -hmm. truly truly go back and as a counseling student learning about different types of therapies and what works I'm going to almost have to either go to counseling or do it on myself to a certain degree. <laughs> do it all yourself. Well, um, I, yeah. So, Reed, can I – so in my in my perfect world, I would love to say to you, so so could the church come alongside you in that path of healing at all? Um, I suppose they could. I don't really know what that would look like. I'm pretty guarded when it comes to church. I don't think I agree with how it's done. In America, I don't even think it's necessarily biblical in America. Um, so that would be tough to swallow. It maybe have to be the people and not the institution. So, so Reed, maybe you could tell us a little bit about that because I, I think that sounds really interesting. You seem to have a, an idea of the way it should be, maybe even according to the Bible, but is not. Describe the way it should be. Well, I don't know if I'm the expert, so take this with a grain of salt. Um, and this is just my opinion on what I see and what I've read. Um, I think back to Acts chapter 2, where it's talking about the believers sharing everything and having meals together every night. And there's just like this really cohesive family aspect to it. And I think in America, a lot of times churches become a business where the pastor operates as a CEO and then isn't really shepherding the church, but it's just a paid to give TED Talks every week and write books. Um, and I think that there is too much of a focus on like doctrine and teaching and too little of a focus on acting and helping and serving in the community that you're in. Um, I really don't know if church was ever intended to people to drive 30 minutes to church as much as it was meant to be your community and you building out from your neighborhood and then filling the needs of your neighborhood. Um, so I guess I, I mean, something that intellectually is interesting to me is kind of the parish model of church where it's just smaller. And then I think practically in American culture, Sunday morning isn't like the most ideal time to reach people. Like if, if you look at church and you want to love people and you show people Jesus, I mean, most of my age group is at brunch on a Sunday morning or ski or in Denver specifically, we're skiing or we're snowboarding or we're mountain biking, depending on the season. So, so when would they come to church? What, say that what one would more time? Be, when would you come to church then? Like Sunday night? I mean, it could be different for different communities and different ebbs and flows. I don't, like I said, logistically, I don't really know, but. I think it warrants a conversation. We do these things that we've done for such a long time just because we've done them for such a long time. But I don't see anywhere in the Bible where it says Sabbath has to be any certain day or that Sabbath has to be the day that you go to church. Yeah, it seems like what you're saying is is that you see the church as community and you're not seeing much community. So in your life outside of church, how do you get community? Um, work is a really big place. I saw friends work? in college that still live locally, so I'm friends with my college friends and some high school friends as well. I mean, people do find great community in the church, don't get me wrong. There are churches out there who are doing good stuff. 
Um, I'm kind of more speaking in a holistic sense and general sense. Do, do you get that regular sense of community each week for yourself? Um, no, I mean, not necessarily, but I didn't really necessarily get it when I was going to church either. I mm. think so, I had a, oh. maybe a unique experience in that sense. I mean, I've talked to friends who have left the church, and the thing that everybody talks about is it's really hard to go away from the... There is something about Christian community when it's like in a healthy area, a healthy church. That's like this unconditional aspect to it. And so, so you would... That, can okay. Be, can be tough. You would say then, Reed, that you and your friends sense kind of something that happens maybe supernaturally when you, there, you are together in some form of the body of Christ. Yeah, I don't know if I would say it's necessarily supernatural. It certainly could be. But I think humans are wired in however way you want to put it for relationship. And so there's something deeply spiritual or maybe it's naturalistic i don't really know about that connection but wouldn't it be different to come together to go to a rock concert as opposed to going coming together to worship god wouldn't there be a different vibe i mean yeah there could be a different vibe but at the same time i think you can meet god at a rock concert too well but that's not what i asked so in other words, I'm asking, did you, because I feel like you said that earlier, but maybe I misunderstood that there is something that happens when people gather together for the purpose of... Well, not necessarily for the purpose of worshiping God, but just like for the purpose of authentically accepting everybody who's there. So it could okay. be connected to God, but I don't think it necessarily has to be. Um, so as you look back again over kind of your your particular life journey. I guess I would, and Rob kind of already asked you to do this, but we're gonna, I'm gonna challenge you, ask you to do it again because you do such a good job of um, methodically thinking through this. But, but what, could, um, what could those of us who say that we are committed followers of Jesus, what could we do to come alongside more of people your age when it comes to the faith or what could the church do uh, differently that might be more innovative that might be thinking about this um, for more of us solving a problem as opposed to trying to fix people yeah yeah I, I think first of all I think people need space it's not necessarily like distance but people need a space to be exactly where they are and to be exactly as honest and authentic as they as they need to be or with where they're at so I think a lot of people within the Christian kingdom have an agenda for the people around them whether it's people they don't know or whether it's people that they do know they want them to come to know Jesus or whatever whatever and grow in this way and do that and do this within their spiritual walk but that doesn't sound very unconditional it sounds conditional um, so I think just that aspect of unconditional, like whatever you're walking through, wherever you're going, I'm going to be there and I love you. And then giving them that space and then just like consistency over time to show that love. I think okay, us, so how yeah, do you... How do you reconcile that with, and I, we actually haven't even talked about this yet, but how do you reconcile that with that God has given us this, you know, what he calls the Holy Scriptures, um, that gives us, you know, 
ways to live by. I'm, I don't. I want to be careful about calling them rules, but I would say he has a way that he uh, wants us to live. How do you reconcile that to bringing people together and accepting them exactly where they are? Just for clarification, sir, are you asking what does it look like for people who have a mission from God and then also want to be unconditional? Well, actually, no, I'm not really asking that. I'm asking how do you bring Scripture into what you just described? Because oh, even I got if you, I, ex- I, got you, I got you. yeah, that's really what I'm after. Okay, so how do you bring Scripture into it? Yeah, like to be able to speak into their life through Scripture, type of thing. Yes, absolutely. Um. Oh, that's a great question. It depends on the person, and oftentimes I don't think people should wield it like they do there's a lot of burdens and there's a lot of obstacles and there's a lot of barriers to the bible because i don't think we've really done a good job of teaching or even knowing what the bible's purpose is um or how it was written and in what ways and how that looks from a near an eastern perspective versus a western perspective if somebody comes up to me right now with where I'm at and starts to give me Bible verses, I'm like writing them off. I'm like, I'm not listening to the thing that you have to say. Okay. So, so how, it, how would is, you, you receive it? That. Like people have to live the scriptures enough to, for that person to trust them. Like my friends who have been with me every step of the way and haven't distanced themselves, even though I've left church, those are the ones that I'll go to, to process. I won't so, go to my friends who tried to throw scripture at me when I told them I'm leaving the church. But it sounds like, Reed, though, that you would still be open to somebody talking about scriptures if they were somebody that you respected. Yeah, and if their posture towards me and and how they're delivering it and what their purpose of it. Because I can sniff if somebody's trying to convert me from a mile away. But if somebody actually cares about what I have to think about a passage, they're like, what do you think about this? Then I'm like, all right, I'll talk to you. Okay. But again, that's that's just my opinion. Well, no, I don't. When we're asking for it, right? So then you would say, Reed, that even though um, you are at this point, you know, on a journey choosing to kind of, you know, not worship in a building, because I'm going to say I'm sure you worship God in other ways, um, people can speak and bring encouragement to you from the word. Right? Um,. I mean, I suppose theoretically, people don't really do it that often because I know I'm kind of turned off to the Bible and trying to figure out what it means. I just know that but for me, you... the Bible isn't really helpful right now in terms of encouragement. Okay, that's an honest answer. That's really good. I think more than anything, I want to know from my friends that they're going to be here no matter what and that they love me unconditionally and that they believe in me and that whatever dreams I have, they're going to help me those things encourage me and I think like that's not that might not be in the words of the Bible but in the ethos of it perhaps means just as much well that's that's really actually a story to um, unpack a little bit because I would I guess that's why I asked about if you just see God as sort of like you know, fitting into your world as opposed to you fitting to his? Because wouldn't you say from the way that you were raised and from the person that you've become uh, that God is the really the 
only one who can give you that kind of unconditional love that you're talking about? Um, I guess in a perfect sense, sure. However, I think that if we have the right expectations of our friends and family of they are going to let me down at times and they can also step up at other times. Absolutely. I guess it's just all about expectations. It is all about expectations. So, Reed, I wanted to kind of pivot just a little bit to, um, we've talked a lot about what others could be doing differently to make church more real, authentic, um, helpful to the human condition, let's say. Um, yeah. What are you what are you doing to um, help yourself in terms of what do you see as your duty as a human being to the world, to my fellow man, just in general? If you were to say, here are my responsibilities, what would they be? Yeah, um, I want to help people understand their dignity, their value and their worth. Um, I want to leave the world better than I found it, not necessarily on a global sense, because I don't know how much I can do, but in whatever communities I'm in, like I want people to understand that they're loved as a result of knowing me. Um, and then I think personally, I want to chase the things that I'm passionate about. Um, and then I feel a, a pull to, to, to do. Great. So can you give an example of each of those things that you're doing right now? Yeah, I mean, so going to school for mental health counseling, um, counseling, I think, saved my life. And so, I mean, every counselor kind of gets into it to help people, kind of maybe gets into it a little bit to understand themselves a little bit better. So there's this interesting dynamic with that. But I think just being able to sit in a room and give someone space to authentically connect and not have any expectations over them and then actually practically help them grow and help them find joy or help them work through grief or help them just feel not alone. Um, I think that's one means of me trying to do that. Great. That's Thank you. awesome. That's, that's really good. So what are your plans in for the next, you know, when do you graduate? 2020 December. Oh, awesome. So you have a year and a half left. Yeah. And you'll stay there in the Denver area. Maybe I might move. I don't really know. I'm, I don't know how much you guys know about the Enneagram, but I'm an Enneagram four, so I feel a lot of things really deeply. And so sometimes oh when my I feel gosh. a certain career on a day, I'm like, oh, I need to go do that. Let me go move to LA and become an actor or whatever. So the plan is right now <laughs> We're is, laughing, Reed. We're laughing because we are all very in d deeply here in the Enneagram. And yeah. not only are we deeply into it, but I am married to a four. Oh, yes. so you get it. It's a- I totally get God it. God bless you, because we need a lot of help. Yeah. Um, you, oh, Reed, can I say something about that, though? Yeah. One of the things that my wife liked about me was when we had our very first conversation, she was raising some questions about the faith. And my background is in philosophy. And, and I was like, oh yeah, that's a really good question. And, there, and there's a lot uh, of different perspectives on that. And she was surprised because the university we were at was very much very black and white on certain issues. But as a four, you're, you are a, pa a person of passion. And passion is a big part of what drives you. And also, I would say about my wife, People will ask me all the time, why did you marry your wife? And the first thing above 
everything is I trust her implicitly. Hmm. Yeah. She is who she is. That's right. And Pam knows my and, wife. Uh, yeah, very well. I would actually even um applaud that because Melinda, Rob's wife, is one of these people who, who I'm an eight and so is Rob, which is really <laughs> funny. And Melinda can understand my intensity and not judge me at all. Yeah. And I would actually say, um, Reed, that she's probably one of the most spiritual people I know. Yeah, yes. Right? Yeah. But she'll be the first to tell you. You know, that she doesn't... She doesn't like to pray out loud. Right, she doesn't right, like to right. do all this stuff, but right. she... No, she's got a connection with God. Yes. That's, anyway, yes. that's just an encouragement <laughs> to you right. to say uh, that God has endowed you in certain ways and your experience uh, is going to add to that. So as you go on your journey, I just want to leave you with that encouragement. Thank you. Yeah. Reed, thank you so much for opening up your mind and yeah, your heart and your voice to us. Um, it's great having you on here, and we hope to connect again. And let's circle back in December 2020 to just catch up with you. Yeah. If you wouldn't mind. Totally. Maybe I'll have dropped that by school by then and have some more interesting things to say. <laughs> no! <laughs> Maybe no. I'll be an artist uh, performing <laughs> right. in L.A. That would be even more exciting, right? Yeah, probably. Anyway, you're awesome. Thanks, Reed. Thanks. You just heard from Reed Burvick, a 25-year-old graduate student in the clinical mental health program at Denver Seminary. Reed lives in Littleton, Colorado, where he's a part-time coach and a DJ. To comment on this podcast and to listen to others, please go to PamelaLau.com and hit the comment button. That's PamelaLau.com. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. You are listening to Real Life with Pamela Lau. Thank you for joining us today.